Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. And you know what that means? That means it's football season with Dave Simone back Thank on God. the podcast. Thank God, Dave says. He is not the biggest baseball guy in the world. The Reds just won. I know no. that would, that's exciting for you. I do have good news. I, I talked. That? I talked to Berg yesterday. Oh, he's, he's he's alive and doing well? Well, I've, I mean, I've talked to him multiple times since March. But every time I talk to him, he's like, I can't do it. I don't know. I got nothing. And when I talked to him yesterday, he called me, and he had ideas. Oh, it is like the light turned back turned, on. He's turned the corner. He's turned the corner. So I think we're going to have articles from Berg coming here soon. He's in, like, what? What stage of depression is this? Like acceptance? Yeah, acceptance. I think he said, well, the first thing he said is, I just still don't know how they're going to ha- I don't know how they're going to be the Bearcats without Gary Clark. And I'm like, well, I mean, I think they'll figure out a way. They'll figure it out. Got, you know, get every they guy figure that's out ever- a way to be the Bearcats without Oscar Robertson and without <laughs> Kenyon, Kenyon Martin. So I think they'll figure it out. Yeah. But for Berg, it still hasn't – how they survive without Gary Clark still hasn't uh, fully hey, clicked in might, his brain. They might not. You they never might know. not. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. They might not. <laughs> we don't know until they play. <laughs> the good news is they play in a week. So – or less than a week. Yeah. So, we'll, hopefully, there will be some video that we'll get to see. I, I haven't heard exactly what the specific plans on that yet are. But hopefully, there will be some video. But right now, it's time for football. So, we're going to – Get into some uh, some training camp talk as things get started. Uh, the team reports on Wednesday. And if you're not a member of BearcatJournal.com, I know most of our listeners are members, but if you happen to be listening and you're not a member, Thursday is report day. Just remember that. I can't tell you why yet, but you're going to want to be ready to report to camp on Thursday. So online. Keep, keep, yeah, online. Keep that in your brain. Be ready. Be ready Thursday morning to report to camp at BearcatJournal.com. Uh, but, Dave, it's uh, year two of the Luke Fickle era. They'll do three days at uh, Nippert Stadium, or not at Nippert Stadium necessarily, but three days on campus. They can actually use the practice facility again. The bubble is down, which means the crane is gone from Fifth Third Arena. The team is back in the weight room. The Thunderdome is no more. And the practice fields exist again. So that's nice, because I I can promise you, I can assure you from uh, from prospect camps, not this year but last year, being in that bubble on eighty five ninety degree days is not a pleasant experience. It's not good. No, it wasn't awesome. It's not fun. But uh, the, they'll they'll be back out practicing for a couple of days at Nippert, and then two uh, almost three weeks. Uh, at Camp Higher Ground, from what I'm hearing, the official schedule isn't out yet. But Bearcat Journal will be there every day. I will be there uh, when he can make it. Dave will be there. Austin Gale will be there when he can uh, he can squeeze out of work at Pro Football Talk or Pro Football Focus. Uh, so a lot of coverage coming for you. Yeah, Shane even says he's coming down. So we'll see. Oh, I'm not he's sure. Roll out the red carpet. I know. Shane says he's coming down. Catch a catch a little bit of camp. I think he's also coming down for uh, the game at Paul Brown. Is it Lakota West and St. X, I think? St. X, yeah. yeah. He's coming down for that one as well to get a look at a couple guys. 
so lots of coverage coming as we hit into August here in a couple days. But Dave, let's uh, let's get cracking on camp. We've got a uh, some questions from BCJ members uh, and some folks on Twitter uh, that we're going to get to on the back end of this podcast. And I don't want to I don't want to dive too deep because we're going to have a lot of stuff uh, hit the website this week, starting tomorrow. Uh, in terms of uh, camp coverage, some of the, the the younger guys to watch out for. I don't want to focus on just freshmen, but I want to you know talk about you know some of the the freshmen, the redshirt freshmen, the redshirt sophomores, the younger guys that uh, that haven't been in the program too long. That'll be moving up the depth chart this year. We'll take a look at the offense, take a look at the defense, take a look at some uh, some storylines that are going throughout camp. I figured this would be a good chance for Dave and I to uh, to talk about the things that we are going to be looking for. Uh, what we'll be focusing on in those early days uh, of training camp 2018 as the Bearcats get ready for the 2018 season. So, Dave, welcome in. I know you're ready for football to be back. And, uh, I am. What, what's your number one thing that's on your list when you, when you arrive at practice that you're going to say, all right, this is what I'm checking out. Uh, this is what I'm interested in in terms of uh, where the Bearcats are going to be for 2018. Uh, my number one thing is do they have a receiver besides Cleo Lewis that can get open consistently? It's fair. And the reason is, is I think they're going to be able to run the ball pretty well. You know, we've seen Jared Dokes, Mike Warren, both average six yards a carry or so last year. Uh, behind an offensive line that, especially in the interior, wasn't great at opening holes for the running backs. And for a team that, unfortunately, probably didn't get to run the ball as much as they would have liked because they had a very hard time at the beginning of games getting down 14 points, 21 points, and so the run game goes out out the window at that point more times than not. So if you're going to have uh, what I think is going to be an improved offensive line as a whole, and you have two solid running backs, I want to see who's ready to step up and be the second, third, fourth target outside of Lewis. Because to me, that's really the only way I really can see the offense taking that next step. Because in college football anymore, you have to kind of average at least 30 points a game to give yourself a shot. And they've only been averaging over the last couple of years with this group of talent, obviously different coaching staff, but, you know, barely over 20 points, you know, in the 21, 22, 23 point range. So I want to see with Lewis moving to the outside more frequently, who steps in at the slot and then who is that other receiver on the outside. I think it's a very good point. Um, I know going in, I expect Thomas Geddes to be opposite Khalil Lewis. Um, third year in the program, he had a lot of you know a lot of playing time last year. Um, it's time for him to take that next step as a junior. Uh, I agree there. The slot's going to be interesting to me because uh, you know Rashad Madaris is a guy that regularly has shown in practice the ability to make plays. Um, but we, you know, we haven't. Khalil Lewis has been in that spot, or was in that spot last year. So, 
we didn't get to really, you know, see what Medeiros could do. Um, and then another guy that I think we're both going to have an eye on is Javon Halls. Uh, he's flashed some athleticism. He's flashed some speed. But, you know, can he consistently get on the field? He, he'll, he'll play some in the slot. He'll play some outside. He's a guy they can kind of move around. Um, I thought Trent Cloud had a very good uh, spring, um, especially early in the spring when he, you know, started showing some ability to get over the top of the defense and make some plays. But I think you're right. I think that is one of the bigger questions is, is what we saw last year and what we reported last year throughout training camp, throughout the beginning of the season, and then it was blatantly obvious as the season went on, this team couldn't take the top off of defense. And that allowed defenses to play 15 yards and in. And when you have 10, 11 guys either in the box or with a foot on it, a toe on it, and, and you can't push the field vertically, you're in trouble in college football right now. And that's what we've seen, you know, last year and the year before. Since that group of, you know, Chris Moore and and Shaq Washington and, and Johnny Holton and, and, and that, those guys, Max Morrison, yeah, since those guys moved on, we haven't seen this team offensively be able to take the top off the defense, and it, it, they, they have to find a way to do that. I think you're, you're right on point there because, I mean, how many times did we talk about it last year throughout camp? Like, we're not seeing any big plays, and camp is when you see big plays. And so, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't because we felt great about the DBs. Right. I mean... I thought Lyndon Stevens had a pretty solid senior year. Right, but I mean, for the most part, but ultimately, like, like going in, we would go an entire practice without in seven on seven and eleven on eleven without a ball being completed over twenty five yards. And I, I mean, we've talked a little bit about the end of camp. I, uh, I was I was not there for the last week um, with my wife's. Uh, bone marrow transplant but uh, by the way everything's going great she's back to work she's doing wonderful for anybody that's wondering thanks for all your support and love she's doing fine but that was much more prominent this year that they were able to push the ball 20 25 30 yards down the field in practice which is a big improvement because it didn't happen last year right and the other thing that i was good at least at the time that i was there was that it wasn't just like the same guy all the time. It wasn't just well, Clay Lewis had three catches over thirty yards, and no one else did. Or right. this player, that player. It was every day. You know, somebody was making a play, which that's all. I mean, they just they have the players. I think they have. It's not like they don't have a deep roster of wide receivers. They have them in all shapes and sizes too. I mean, you've got some tall, longer guys. You've got the short slot guys. You've got speed guys you've got your route guys so it's just a matter of what can we get you know say four of them to be consistent and get open on a consistent basis and then especially you know down the field where like you said you can't just put your safeties 12 yards deep because you're not afraid of anybody running past them absolutely now the flip side of that dave i'll bring up one of my primary things that I'm going to be watching in camp. If wide receivers are consistently running past defensive backs, well, now you've got <laughs> yeah. a different concern because it's uh, 
it's a whole new look in that defensive secondary. Let's face it. I mean, it is. Coleman and Stevens are gone. David, David Pierce is gone. Carter Jacobs is gone. Malik Clements has moved up to linebacker. Um, I mean, that, that's going to be an almost complete turnover. You know, it, uh, Chris Murphy um, is still at safety. Could give you some time there. Um, he was running with the ones a lot until an injury kind of ended his spring early. Uh, but, you know, depending on his health, when he comes back, he'll be in the mix. But ultimately, you're looking at Tyrell Gilbert moving to corner. From everything I've heard this summer, they're very happy with that. Uh, they really think they've kind of found his home, which is ironic because it's where he was recruited to play. It's where he played his first year on campus when he redshirted as he was a cornerback. Uh, but he's back there. That that transition happened in the spring. I thought he looked good in camp. I don't know what you thought when you got to see him the last week of camp. Um, but I like Gilbert at corner, but he's it's probably going to be Kobe Bryant, a sophomore on the opposite side of him. And then at safety, you're looking at Murphy. You're looking at James Wiggins. You're looking at Derek Forrest. I think Forrest is going to be back there, um, regardless of pretty much anything else that happens, unless he just has a terrible camp. But – entirely new defensive backfield, which I hate to say it like this, but with the way things went last year, that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, it's not. And I just, you know, when you, you look at it, you break it all down. I mean, these projections are what they are and we still have a month before the season starts, but I mean, so your top three corners, in my opinion, are probably going to be Gilbert. Bryant and Cam Jeffries transfer from BG who isn't transferring to UC to be in the mix. Like, I'm sorry. He's not that they promised him a starting spot, but he was a starter at BG and a successful one. So I'm going to imagine that he's going to be in that main group and has a very close relationship with Mike Mickens. Right. None of those guys, to my knowledge, have played one snap of corner for UC. Yeah, I don't think Gilbert has. I mean, if Brian Your did, top... it was in mop-up duty or, right. you know. exactly. So, I mean, your top two safeties, in my opinion, are going to be Wiggins and Derek Forrest. Wiggins might have gotten some run last year. But Forrest, Forrest was a cornerback. Right. He was he was switching positions, and Kobe Bryant is switching from safety to corner, which I'm glad that both positions switches because I thought those were where they should have been originally, but neither of those guys have played many, if any, snaps at safety, so there's going to be some growing things. I mean, I like each player on an individual level and what I've seen and how they, you know, I thought Gilbert struggled at first in the spring making the adjustment. He was great in press, but you could tell when he couldn't get his hands on you, he would get turned around and he just wasn't sure what to do and I think that got better as the spring went on I'd still like to see them play more press covers this year than last year but that yeah, you know, that's more of a scheme thing than a, a player thing but it's also a player thing if you don't feel like you can, can do that with your roster but yeah I mean that's been, you know that's your, your thing to be looking at but it also kind of goes hand in hand with one of my other ones and that's the defensive line. Yeah, that's where I was going to go next, too. Pressure. So we have the same number, two. Those, two. those two things, what's that? I said we have the same number, two. 
yeah, those two things kind of work hand in hand. You have a young secondary, but you think that there can be good, some good players back there, but they can't just sit back there all day. So this defensive line has veterans, has real experience, has one player that is, you know, on watch lists for whatever that's worth, has another player that a lot of us in Cortez Brighton think is good but can definitely show more. But for whatever reason, they kind of had all the same guys last year and didn't get any pressure, didn't get any sex. So I'm going to be interested to see what kind of jump they can make and then kind of talking to Marcus Freeman, talking to Coach Stripling, just about how do you work on something like pressure sacks, knowing that it's been a consistent problem for this team, even going back to before you guys were here, and that facing the offenses and the quarterbacks in this conference, which, I mean, let's be real, there's better quarterbacks in the American Athletic Conference than there are in the SEC. Yeah. For the most part, I'd agree with that. And I think the offenses are obviously a little bit more open. Um, They are. But, yeah, those quarterbacks are putting more pressure on you, for sure. Yeah, they're dropping back. They're they're slinging the ball. They're running horizontal and vertical. There's way less pro-style sets. There's way less traditional running the – you know, how are you going to fix this problem that has now plagued the defense for several years because if they don't fix it, it doesn't matter if we think the defensive backfield is better because you're going to have seniors and juniors on the defensive line that still can't get to the quarterback. And you're going to have the same problems you had last year defensively. It's getting behind early. You can't stop anybody. I think I, the, the thing with me is I, I'm not worried about the middle. Because I think you have Broughton and Copeland there. I really like Curtis Brooks and um, and Marcus Brown behind them. Um, the thing for me is the outside. You know, Kevin Muhan is going to be limited in camp uh, because of an injury suffered in the spring. They're hopeful that he's going to be good to go by the, the start of the season, if not the start of the season, then early in the season. But you have Kamani Fitz on, on one side that's probably going to be a starter. Um, you have a, a guy that I thought had a potential to be a really good pass rusher when he got here and, um, Michael Pitts, but we didn't see that come to fruition last year. Uh, Malik Van is going to get some run there. Uh, Ethan Tucky is going to get some run there. Um, but those, we, there's nobody on the edge that's proven to be a difference maker yet. And until there is, I think rushing the quarterback is going to be a problem because, I mean, yeah, getting you know getting pressure up the middle and getting them off their spot is critical. Um, but if the tackles can go one-on-one, then you're playing three-on-two in the trenches with the center and two guards. And, you know, it doesn't matter how good Copeland and Broughton are when, you know, you have a guard pick up each one of them and the center can focus on one or the other and, and, and chip and do whatever they want to do you're going to struggle to get pressure from up the middle. And and those guys aren't going to be at their fullest capability unless there's guys on the outside. And that, that also brings you to um, 
they moved potentially their best pass rusher to middle linebacker in Brian Wright. Right. Now, I get it because Brian Wright is is very football savvy, very high IQ guy. I understand completely with, you know, you had Eric Wilson there. You had um, Jalen Miner there. You've had good middle linebackers throughout time on this defense. I understand wanting Brian Wright to be your middle linebacker. But somebody has to step in and fill his shoes rushing from the edge. And I think in terms of, like, what would be my biggest concern? I think it's there because, you know, until we see it, we haven't seen. And this is where it's different than the defensive backfield. We don't know what those guys can do because we haven't seen them. A lot of these guys on the right. defensive line we've seen, and I think you, you touched on that a little bit. They have to improve on what we've seen. There's not a lot of, you know, Pitts is an unknown. You know, Tucky's a bit of an unknown. But – a lot of those guys have had time on the football field. They haven't been able to get to the quarterback. Now they they have to show that they can do that. And we'll see, you know, if, if Steve Stripling is that much of a an influencer that, you know, if, if, if he can get that out of them to where they're getting some pressure off the edge. Right. I mean, I think that your defensive line in college football is more important than it's ever been and. I think this group will be good in the, up the middle. Like you said, I think they'll be good against the run. Up but the middle. it's not going to matter. Yeah, up the middle and then good against the run. Up the middle. But, uh, no, I mean uh, uh, the run yeah. up the middle. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, think be I think they'll be better on the outside, too. I think there's I more too. speed on this defense than there was uh, on last year's defense. But there were just way too many times where it's, you know, second and three. First down, first down, second and four, first down. Like, there was never second and 14 because we sacked the guy or or whatever. I mean, it was, I mean, I couldn't tell you how infrequently they were behind the chain, you know, forced the other team to get behind in their, in their down and distance. It was just, it was too easy. Um, and no matter what you do on offense, no matter what improvements you make, it's not going to, it wouldn't matter. No, you're, I mean, you're exactly right. I'm looking up something here real quick. I think, I guess, if we have another, another thing that I, while you're doing that, another thing that I'll be interested to see is just the offensive line, who's where, uh, and things along that line, because for the most part, and especially towards the whole end of camp, your first team offensive line was oh this, Blake this Higgs, one, I got I got what I was looking for, by the way. Okay, well, go hundred and twenty first in sacks last year. And yeah, I mean it's it's been twelve. That number for a couple years. One sack a game, not gonna get it done. There's only what, hundred and twenty eight teams? One twenty nine. They were tied for one twenty first. Yeah. And no, basically like if 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 they get one less sack, they were 128. <laughs> well, think about that in the, in the in the way of the teams that they're playing are throwing the ball 40 to 50 times a game. Right, and you're getting and that's one not sack. that's just in a regular game. That's not like in a game that's 65, you know, 62 back and forth. I mean, like 
UCF, Mackenzie Milton, he's going to throw it 30, 40 times a game. SMU's going to throw it 40 times a game. And you and that's the number of sacks you're able to get. You're not going against Alabama, who's going to throw it 21 times. Right. And a, and a direct correlation so, to that, the, what I was looking up, five interceptions. Yeah. You, you, you know, sacks. So all, those, all those attempts. Yeah. And you only got 12 sacks and five interceptions. It's not good. It's got to be improved upon. No, nope. I mean, and that's that's it's not. That's where the onus on this defense will be. Sacks have to go up. Interceptions have to go up. So I, I think those are two fantastic points. Um, you got a number three? Yeah, Before I got offensive line just in the sense of we we basically saw Blake Yeager left tackle. Garrett Campbell, left guard. Jakari Robinson, center. Um, Morgan James, right guard. Kyle Trout, right tackle. Towards the last pretty good portion of camp. My thing that I'm going to be watching is with the transfer of Dino Boyd coming in from Rhode Island, again, like Cam Jeffries, he ain't coming here to get a shot. He's coming here to start somewhere on that five. Unless he's not any good. Which well, if yeah. he wasn't any good, I don't know why they take him. <laughs> right. But is their best five with him somewhere on the line and which... Garrett Campbell at center? Or is it with Jakari Robinson at center, Campbell at left guard, and then Boyd somewhere in those other three spots, whether it be left tackle, right guard, or right tackle. I think the most likely thing would be Boyd at tackle moving Trout inside. Um, I think they'd really like to have, ideally, they'd really like to have the combination of Garrett Campbell at one guard, Kyle Trout at the other. Two veterans, two guys that have been around a long time, be Trout's fifth year, be Campbell's sixth year. Um, I think ideally, freshman center. Right. If you have, you know, if you have a freshman center, if you've got two, you know, eleven-year veteran combined guards on either side of him, I think that's that's your most ideal alignment. Um, and then you you slot in where you think the guys that tackle fit best. Um, but Campbell at center is, you know, the the center battle is going to be interesting too because. I, I think Jakari Robinson's going to be given every opportunity to be the starting center, but he has to earn it. And if he doesn't, you've got a guy in Garrett Campbell that they trust that's right there and has the ability to win that job. Uh, so, yeah, I think the alignment, and, and that's going to be interesting the first. You know, I'm not going to pay too much attention to it the first three days at Nippert because there's no pads. You know, right. it's an acclimation period. inconsequential to yeah. evaluate linemen without hitting but once we get to higher ground, I mean, the, the offensive line is going to require a lot of attention because who are the five? Who are the guys that they feel like can give them depth? I mean, there's a there's a lot of moving parts there. There's a lot of different alignments that, that they could come up with, especially now with Boyd on campus. And, uh, right. Dar- you know, does, is Darius Harper, you know, somebody that could that could jump up a depth chart and make it too deep where do colin woodside and dylan o'quinn fit in terms of a too deep 
Um, oh, I mean, I, I definitely think there's an opportunity for all three of those guys to be in the two deep. I do too, but we don't know about any of them yet. So right. there's going to be a lot to watch on offensive line. In terms of things like to watch, that might be the most, you know, at just about every other position, even the ones where, you know, like defensive backfield, there's a lot of turnover, there's a lot of question marks. But we've got a pretty good idea of exactly how that's going to shape out in terms of a two-deep, or at least the names that are going to be involved in a two-deep. Offensive line, I mean, I think we've got five or six guys, seven guys we know are going to be in that 10. But I don't know who's going to be where yet. You know, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a terrible thing. (laughs) But it's gonna it's gonna require a lot of attention uh, going throughout camp. I think you're exactly right there. You got a, a one other one, maybe. I mean, it's what everybody's asking, so we might as well just roll it into the questions because it's going to be number three. Cole Smith, Cole Smith will definitely be the starting kicker. Yeah. Okay. All that's right. What that, you meant, right. Yep. That's the podcast. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll see you next time. All right. <laughs> see y'all. See you September second. <laughs> um, everybody wants to know about quarterback, and I get it. Uh, Hayden Moore hasn't exactly exhibited the most or uh, elicited the most confidence in the fan base because of some of the mistakes that he's made. Uh, you know, in clutch situations with the game on the line. Um, but he's a fifth-year senior, and the two guys behind him now that Ross Trail has transferred out, one's a redshirt freshman, one's a true freshman. And I don't think that they were miles behind him in the spring, but as we talked about, it was pretty clear in the spring that Hayden Moore was your number one quarterback, or at least he was the guy that was performing the best um, throughout the spring with consistency. Is running the offense the smoothest. Now, I don't know exactly what your take on it is. I think that a guy like Desmond Ritter or a guy like Ben Bryant, if they have a really, really good uh, fall camp, would have the opportunity to move up that depth chart and maybe challenge for the number one spot. But I don't think that's a sure thing by any stretch of the imagination. And we don't know what those two until the heat starts to get turned up, what kind of pressure they're going to put on Hayden Moore. Right. Um, I I don't really see Ben Bryant as a realistic challenger to the starting role, and it's not really anything that he has done or hasn't done. It's just where is he going to get the reps with the ones to show you that he's, capable of of leading the team as a true freshman like the practices that I went to he rarely if at all ran with the ones he, he looked great against the threes so that's all awesome. he, he like, did play against the twos quite a bit he he was doing half field reads on almost all pass plays yeah from my vantage point now I'm obviously not and the coach can tell me I'm totally wrong, and that's fine. You know, from what I could tell, it was just kind of like, here, here are the couple reads that we want you to, to focus on, and if those aren't there, then you kind of eat it or throw it away or whatever. But, like, yeah, he's got a lot of promise, and I could totally see them using 
the red the new red shirt rule if the situation's dictated i don't think you're going to see them do that if if the situations aren't in their favor to do that to see what he is and to see what he looks like in a real game situation and, and things like that but it's very hard for me to see him outperforming the other two so much that he's now stealing reps with the ones from a fifth-year senior and a redshirt freshman who I think was better than him in spring ball. So, I'm, I mean, I'm, that would just be hard for me to see. So it's kind of Hayden Moore, Desmond Ritter. Um, I think Des obviously offers some things that aren't in Hayden's game, but – you know, he did make some splash plays, both with his arm and with his legs, but I still felt Hayden had a better grasp for the offense, had fewer mistakes. Um, so I just think it's going to be hard, you know. I agree. It's, it's always hard It's always hard for a coaching staff. You know, you went 4-8 and eight last year. You start the year at UCLA – you can't go four and eight again. Like you, like we can talk about expectations on the next podcast when we get through fall camp and talk season preview and things. But like, I think the baseline everyone is looking at is a, a bowl game. Yeah, I agree. So, if that's your baseline, are you, as a coach, coaches are inherently conservative. Nine out of ten of them across the country. Are you ready to? to Throw a guy out there who on a four and eight team from last year that's never played in the game before. Yeah, or to take it even further, a kid that was playing in high school last year. Right. That's why I mean that's right. That's why I'm not even really <laughs> right. Not even really. I, I'm considering just I, yeah. That. I'm just taking it even a step farther. A guy that's you know never played in a game or a guy that's that's never played was in high school last year. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why I've maintained that I think until we see somebody play better than Hayden Moore, Hayden Moore is going to be the quarterback. And, and I think you agree with me on that. Yeah. I mean, we. we I don't. Th- I mean, you know, there'd be one practice. I'd show up to one practice, and Des would be awesome, and you'd go, "Yeah, you should have been here yesterday." Right. You know, so it's it's the lack of consistency that is going to have to show up in fall camp, you know, several days in a row to, for the coaches to go, you know what, we need to take a look at this because Dez is, or Ben are clearly outplaying Hayden and they need the seven out of 10 reps with the ones that Hayden is getting. And he needs the two reps with the ones. And then the third guy gets one rep out of 10 or whatever. However, they divvy things up. But, um, It'll be interesting to watch because Luke has maintained every opportunity that he's been asked that it is an open competition. So let's, it should let's be. see how open it is. Yeah. Oh, it, I don't disagree. I mean, it's not like they're bringing back Mackenzie Milton. Right. Or, you know, name another great quarterback that's coming back this year. I mean, there's no. when we say we think it's going to be Hayden, we're not saying because we – you know, you got people that don't want him, don't know what they're talking about because he's been so great. That's not it at all. You know, I just we're saying just somebody has to beat him out for the job, right? And I don't. And that's my stance. I don't see those options available at this current time. Now, 
obviously in the next month that could totally change. Yeah. Um, let's get into some questions here. Uh, we've answered a lot of them uh, through the first 35 minutes of this, the 40 minutes of this podcast. Uh, thoughts on the online? I got, I got one okay. Okay. That I think good. Matt C. Kincaid on Twitter asked A player on each side of the ball poised for a breakout year. Okay. Okay. So you can go first. Uh, I mean, that's not fair. You, you knew the question and you, you, you oh. hijacked. Do you want, do you want um, me to go first? I, I will go. I will go Malik Clements. I think okay. that spot is a very good spot for him. I think he was a bit compromised at times at safety, having to play, uh, some stuff that was, you know, they were people were able to get over his head, but I think moving up to that hybrid outside linebacker slash nickel spot, I think with his athleticism, uh, I think you're going to see a really good year from Malik Clemens. Um, I don't know that a lot of people have his name at the top of their mind uh, because the the secondary struggled last year and because he's switching positions. Uh, I think from the outside, opposite Perry Young, I think teams are going to try to avoid going near Perry Young, if at all possible, because when you go near him, he tackles you. You know, he's played two years. Right. He's had 100 tackles each year. Um, I think Malik Clemens has a chance to really step up in that second outside linebacker spot uh, and have a very big season for the Bearcats. So I'll go Malik Clemens as my okay. unexpected big name for defense. Defense for you? All right. I'll, I'll stick on defense, and I'll go Derek Forrest. Yeah, I like it. Because I think he fits so much better at safety than he does at corner. And I think he's – I don't know. I think he'll probably – you know, terms are loosely used, I think, now more than ever. I think he fits more of the – strong safety than free safety. I think Wiggins with his athleticism and speed is more of a free, but I, I just think them kind of back there together is a drastic difference, even though they hardly played. But in terms of athleticism, yeah. Right. And I just think what he has shown in the spring, what he, his body transformation is ridiculous. From when he got to see to where it is now. Every time I talk to Brady Collins, one of the first names of Brady Collins, the strength and conditioning coach, one of the first names out of his mouth is Derek Forrest in terms of work ethic and, and, and you know, putting in the extra time and being dedicated. Every time we talk, Derek Forrest is one of the first names out of his mouth for whatever that's worth. I mean, it, but to me, it tells me that they have a lot of confidence and a lot of trust in that kid, even as a sophomore. Yeah. I just think, you know, he's the type of guy they need to be a playmaker back there, whether it's come up and drill a guy and force a fumble, whether it's keep a completion at 14 yards instead of 35 yards or, you know, intercept a pass. I'm, I'm definitely looking for him to, I mean, I guess he can't really have a breakout year because he didn't even play last year, but I'm definitely looking for him to take that next step and be one of the integral pieces uh, in the back end of the defense. Offense is a tough one. 
I know. I couldn't think of one, so I'm going to have to think of one on the fly. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I would go Rashad Medeiros because he's stepping into that slot role. Um, I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities there to move the chains. He has very good hands. He runs very good routes. Uh, I've been impressed with him since he arrived via transfer. Um, I think he's going to be that stabilizing force, um, that secondary, you know, that that security blanket uh, that you're looking for when you're when you're at third and five, and you need a first down. I think they're going to be able to rely on him to make that catch. So <clears throat> um, it, it would be close between him and Josiah Deguara. The only reason I don't go Deguara is because I want to see that tight end group in camp. And I want to see how much Josh Wiley is out there. And I want to see how much if Leonard Taylor can make an impact there as well. But I think, you know, moving the chains has been a problem. Three and outs have been a problem for three years. Um, well, and my thing too with the tight end is they said they were going to use him last year and then hardly did. Yeah, I don't know if that was protection related or what. I mean, I think it very well might have been, been protection related. Might have been could have been protection related. Could have been the talent of the group. I mean, they threw it to Cogswell, you know, several times and Degora a very few. But like, yeah, I'm wanting to see that actually be used because I think that's a strong group, and you can definitely use the tight end to help you on use the tight end as almost an extension of the running game. Yeah, to give you short yardage on second and third down that you weren't able to generate last year. So are you going with the tight end, or who are you going with? No, I'm going with Jakari Robinson. All right. Because the center position last year was an unmitigated disaster, I'm sorry to say. If I see an illegal snap this year, my head might explode. Well, I mean, one, okay, that might happen, but like... I've got trauma. If I see it, my head might just explode, like on the spot, just <laughs> as so, a reminder of last because year. My thinking behind this is, is it's Shakari Robinson because if he can man the center position and do it well, that allows them to leave Garrett Campbell at left guard, move Kyle Trout to the middle to the right guard, assuming that's what they want to do. And put Dino Boyd at right tackle, which I think those three in the middle, Robinson, Campbell, and Trout, would be leap years ahead of what they had in the middle last year, which then should help them run the ball up the middle much better than they did last year and give whoever the quarterback is more time to find the wide receivers who are hopefully now getting open. All right. Because I think he is one of the best – top five linemen, but if he can't hold down that center position, he's not playing a guard. No. So then you're bringing in, you're moving Campbell probably out of his best position and then bringing the sixth best lineman in to play guard because your hopeful center couldn't, couldn't take on the responsibility. Which would probably be either Morgan James or Keith Miner. Morgan James or Keith Miner, right. And I think Campbell is an upgrade over them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with you there. I, I, I think Robinson is going to be interesting if he can if he can meet their expectations at center and hold down that center spot. Um, is Tyquan Statham no longer with the team? Um, yes and no. <laughs> he is still with the team, but he is no longer uh, an active 
member of the roster. He had a very serious medical condition, which uh, obviously I'm not going to get into. Uh, back in the winter, that limited, or he didn't participate in the spring, and his football career, it looks like at this point, is over. Uh, but he is looking to join as like a student assistant, um, looking to stay around the program, looking to stay with the team. He's still on campus, but he is no longer uh, an active member of the roster. The only two guys... Uh, from what I've heard, the only two guys that were on the roster active in the spring that are no longer with the team are Norman Oglesby and Marcel Paul. Uh, to my understanding, both of those guys have transferred to Hampton to play for head coach Robert Prunty. So, to my knowledge, as of, you know, five days before camp starts, uh, the, that's, you know, there, there's not going to be a whole lot of roster news. Those will be the names. Um that you hear uh love your thoughts on the tight end room um we touched on we touched, touched on, on it that. a little bit uh, i i you know deguara has been the number one guy with with bruno labelli uh behind him both of those guys are more outside guys uh i liked what i saw as an inside guy from wilson huber uh that kid's a big strong kid man I mean, he is a large human being, uh, and he showed some good hands in the spring when they when they put him out in in uh, passing routes. So he's kind of a dual guy that that you'll see probably more when you see him uh, will be on running downs. And then where do Wiley and Taylor step in? Uh, I I have to think Josh Wiley is huge. I don't know if you've seen him lately. He is a monster. Uh, April, so yeah. I mean, a couple months ago. But... He is a monster of an individual now. Like, he is not skinny by any stretch of the imagination anymore. So he's going to be able to to get out and run routes and take some hits. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see how quickly they get him out there. You know, probably start with the second or third team, and then can he can he make that bump up to? to getting some run with the first team and how comfortable they are with his hands and with his knowledge of the playbook. Um, I mean, I expect at least early DeGuar is going to be the main guy you see, but we'll see, you know, how that plays out. Here's an interesting one. Brian Wright versus Joel DeBlanco. I have been um, thoroughly impressed well, with Joel DeBlanco, Joe DeBlanco, Joel DeBlanco. I don't disagree. I ha I have been as well, but maybe that's because my expectations you, were low at middle linebacker. But I thought he well, he, but he it, handled himself very well. If you felt incredibly confident about what you had at the position, you wouldn't move your best pass rushing defensive end to middle linebacker. I think that's fair. I will also say though. That move was made before the spring, and I don't know that they were expecting DeBlanco to play as well as he did in the spring. Now, the the, the flip side of this, and I've mentioned this well, on Then the it's board. a good problem to have because yes. you have two solid linebackers. You yes. can always move Brian right back to defensive end. See, I don't know that you can now. They well, have, I guess not because he's probably lost a bunch of weight. They have dropped a lot of weight on Brian Wright. <laughs> he's like, like weighing like... 40 so yeah like he's down to 235 240 he looks phenomenal but i putting him back at defensive end he's a little light in the loafers now for defensive end 
Well, I mean, you see it like we'll just use the Bengals, for instance, on third down. They've moved Michael Johnson into defensive tackle. Maybe they do can do something similar with Brian Wright. When you're only going to have two linebackers on the field on a third down, yeah. you move him to defensive end and move your defensive, or move him to defensive end, move your DN into D tackle. You kind of have four pass rushers on the defensive line instead of your traditional, you know, two bigger guys, two speed guys. So, you know, with the offenses that they're going to play against, you're rarely going to see three linebackers on the field anyway. Correct. I agree. Uh, Rupert Stiltskin, we, we asked for one question. You gave us eight. Um, okay, what are the what are the eight? Uh, well, the one was Wright to Blanco, um, and and I will correct a, a misconception. Wright wasn't held out of spring ball, basically. He was held out of live action, but he was out there for everything else. <clears throat> he had shoulder surgery last season, obviously that ended his season early, but he was not held out of spring ball. He was on the field a lot. He just wasn't out there in eleven on eleven. So he's not going to be making a complete adjustment to middle linebacker. He's gotten the looks. He's no. gotten the reads. Um, the, I don't think that that's as much of a concern uh, in terms of being skeptical about the right move because of that. Uh, he got a lot of reps. It, it just wasn't when they were in 11-on-11. 11 11. Uh, does Hayden look like a three-year senior starter? Um, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, how physical is our line? We don't know yet because we don't know what the alignment is going to be. I, I think if, if you're talking about Dave's alignment uh, with, with Campbell and Trout at guards and Jakari Robinson in the middle, that's physical. Those three guys are physical dudes. Um, defensive line we've hit on. Can Charles McClellan take over kick and punt return? I didn't see him back there a lot, even no. in the spring. Uh, the guy I'm going to have my eye on in terms of can a young guy do that is Arquan Bush, and maybe yep. maybe Hicks, Javon. Hicks. Well, the, yeah, I mean that one's a tough one just because in in the spring especially they're just throwing yeah anybody and everybody back there like oh let's see if he can do it let's see if he can do it so um, I had a good one on Twitter. One more, one more from Rupert Stiltskin since oh, okay. he asked eight questions. Uh, will the punting game turn the field position like Kevin Huber used to do? Uh, will Will James Smith turn into an All Pro NFL punter? We We don't know yet, but I thought he had significantly more distance on his kicks than he did as a freshman. I thought he did a yeah. very good job as a freshman. This is why he was first team All AAC. He did a very good job getting the ball in the air. But it was 40 to 45 yards almost every time. Uh, there were very few returns on him. The kicking game, the punting game was very effective. But he didn't flip field position in terms of, you know, like a a 55-yard bomb that, you know, takes well, you I, from 120 I, to the other side of the field and puts the the other team's offense in trouble. I saw I that part in spring. Of the reason with that is, is I think you see that less with the rugby style kickers, unless they just get one that rolls forever. And so, I know that they've been working on just what we would call traditional style punting, where he just you know receives the ball and takes the two steps and punts. And I think that's I think when you'll see when he just, whether they use that in games or not, is when you'll see 
the you know the big like 65 70 yarder where it totally flips the field he's got a monster leg a monster leg so i think he has that type of ability we'll see in year two how much he goes from the 40 45 yard like average to 45 to 50 uh, and if he's, right. he's he's getting some kicks with the the height that he's had and he can push him out to 50 yards I think you're going to start seeing him have the ability to, uh, to to flip some field position and change some games. Uh, I think it's in there. We'll see if he can pull it out. I know they've joked around. They, they'd love to find a way to get him on the field. Like, <laughs> he's 6'5", 235. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a beast of a human being. <laughs> um, what was the other question you had? We got uh, Matt Lanham on Twitter asked how many of the freshmen will play significant snaps this year. Ooh, that's a tough question. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Malik Van and Josh Wiley will, unless something weird happens. I agree with those two. Uh, I think they have and, a path to playing time. I think there's a need at their positions, especially with Van now at defensive end. Um, which I think was a smart move because with Copeland and and Cortez Broughton and Curtis Brooks and Marcus Brown and even some guys behind them. Um, there I weren't snaps for there, him. There weren't a lot of snaps it. to tackle. And, and there's going to be some snaps. I agree with those two. Um, I think Bush, Arquan Bush is going to be a little bit raw. So we'll see. Um but I think he has the athletic ability if they have a need at corner, if something doesn't work out or whatever the case may be. I think he has the athletic ability to make an impact. Um, not sure, the, the wild card, I guess, would be Tavion Thomas, right? I think both running backs, Charles McClellan and Tavion Thomas, just because McClellan offers something so different than – what they have because Dokes, Warren, and Thomas are all kind of in the same mold to varying and Taylor Boos even really. Right. I mean, they're all kind of the, you know, if you're going to have, if you're going to have a slash back and a power back, they're all kind of in that power back connotation. Um, and Charles McClellan is definitely a slash back. I mean, yeah, if that guy gets a crease, He's gone. So, does he, you know, do you play him because he offers something so different? Or, you know, you have two really good backs, and, you know, every carry that someone else gets is a carry one of those guys doesn't. So, it'll just kind of be that position will be interesting to me, especially with the new redshirt rule is, you know, are you playing McClellan and Thomas up to four games so you kind of have an idea of what they are and maybe they give you something? Or, you know, because running backs can get dinged so easily, do you hold them out because you might need them later on in the season? I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't see, besides Arquan Bush and then... Wiley and Van, I find it hard to believe Leonard Taylor would get run with a tight end room that's as deep as it is. 
Um, but again, maybe you play him in four games because you can still register him. That whole thing is going to be interesting to watch. Uh, how how they go about using that, you know, you're going to. You know, because I'm I'm thinking then also if a player hasn't been redshirted, I don't think it's just for freshmen. If a player hasn't been redshirted, like you use Kevin Muhan for an example. I don't know off the top of my head if he's been redshirted or not. I don't believe he, he has. Hadn't. Say okay, say he had, and he's he's obviously dealing with an injury. If he comes back and plays in the last four games, can they still redshirt him and he come back next year? I don't know. I don't know the uh, the. I mean, the that's that. that's something that I'll, I'll watch because with injuries of older guys who haven't been he, redshirted, he did he redshirted in 2014. So he's okay, a, well, he's a junior. If, is this a senior thing a medical like? Is this thing a medical redshirt where you can get a sixth year? Like, there's there's all the all the ins and outs of it. But like a program like you see, I think it's going to benefit greatly in player development, and you know. Coach Fickle kind of talked about it at AAC Media Day. He was asked the question, and he used the term redshirt mode, and I think it was a good point because in past years, 90% of your freshmen, when they came in, they knew right away they weren't going to see the field. Right. So how do you keep a guy engaged academically, socially, uh, on the team, giving their all every day of practice when they know I'm not playing. Right. Well, now you can't get into redshirt mode anymore because you might get called upon a, a deep. They might have, and Sonny Dykes brought this up as a part of what Luke was saying. I thought it was a really good point. He's like, no matter where you are, you probably have one position where you are thin, where you don't have the depth. And then, so you're, the guys that you do have have to practice more and run more reps. He said, well, now, if I got a guy that is injured, and instead of forcing him to play through maybe a minor injury, I can sit him for two or three weeks and have a freshman go out there and hopefully hold the fort down, so to speak, and get those reps in practice. And I can save his red shirt, and I don't have to kill my one position. So I think for programs in the AAC, I think you're going to see a lot of these freshmen, whether it's on special teams towards the end of the year, because guys get guys that are on special teams are usually your second string, sometimes first string, and depth hits those guys. And so maybe you need some of your freshman DBs to go out there on kickoff for a couple weeks to keep a guy who would normally be on kickoff, but you need him on defense. And it's like, well, we don't want to risk him on special teams, so we're just going to play him on defense, and this guy's going to take his spot on special teams right. for a couple weeks, and then we can still redshirt him. I feel you. It's going to be uh, – the the coaches definitely have some interesting decision to make in, in terms of who they get out there, how they use them. Um, will it prompt – a red shirt to be burned maybe on a guy you, you didn't expect to play four games, but you put him out there and you gave him the opportunity and he was better than you thought. I think that's an interesting twist that, that isn't really being talked about. You know, you use that early in the season and, and let's say just throwing out a name, like, like a Michi Harris 
uh, you put him out there at wide receiver, and all of a sudden he starts making a couple plays for you. And, and now you're at game five. He's played four games, and you're at that fifth game, and he's made plays in those four games. And, you know, maybe he's got a touchdown or two, and he's made a couple long catches. Now you're at game five, and do you go, you know what? We're rolling with him. So there's a lot yeah. to that. And, and people have asked about, you know, wide receiver uh, in terms of the, the, the three young guys, Michi Harris, Jason Jackson, Alec Pierce. We'll see. There's opportunity yeah. in that room. It's definitely something for us to – I mean, I think it's the kind of the one – you know, you and I had talked about it when you sit down with Coach Fickle. We had some questions that we had thought of, and then we got into position. It's kind of the one thing that we really wanted to ask him once camp started was to kind of get a more in-depth, because we can have a more in-depth conversation with him at camp versus, you know, just someone asking a question at media day or something like that. So right. it's definitely something I'll be interested in hearing what him and the other coaches, you know, think about it, because it's going to affect all of their – positions and they obviously want the best players to play so you know it's that carrot so to speak that you know just because the guy's been here you have the opportunity now to play and if you play well maybe we keep playing you yeah it's uh especially a wide receiver that's going to be a wide open room because even when he was pressed on things fickle just reverted back to khalil lewis and i think that tells us that outside of Khalil Lewis, there's a lot of competition that's going to take place at Camp Higher Ground. Yep. So, I mean, that's one big reason to tune into Bearcat Journal every day throughout training camp. Because you'll get a better feel for those things because we are there from the start of camp till the end of camp every day. We don't, we don't show up 15 minutes before practice ends, get our interview, and leave. We're there the whole time. You get practice reports. You mean people? You mean people do that? Uh, I, there are some people that might do that. Yeah. Some, no. some, I, some like folks. a great way to get content. Yeah. Well, you know, they don't see the value in uh, watching practice every day like we do. Mm, okay. And we see that value. We love that value. We thrive on that value to be at training camp every day. Well, we we want our Bearcat Journal members to be the most informed. Bearcat fans out there. And if you're not a Bearcat Journal member, you report to camp on Thursday. Just remember that. At Bearcat Journal on Twitter. At Chad Brendel on Twitter. At Shane Kenny on Twitter. At Shane underscore Kenny, I think, because he's got to be difficult. Um, but that's where you'll find out how to report to camp on Thursday morning. Other than that, I think that's a, a good stopping point uh, that will lead us into some of the articles that will be coming out. Uh, from now until Thursday, and then on Friday, Dave and I, uh, depending on, we still don't have times, uh, I believe Dave is going to be able to make it Friday for practice as long as everything uh, schedule-wise isn't uh, goofy, but the plan is for Dave to be there Friday, I will be there Friday, and we will get rolling for three days at Nippert Stadium, and then two plus weeks, so two and a half weeks at Camp Higher Ground, almost three weeks at Camp Higher Ground. And we will be there every day to bring you coverage, to bring you practice reports, to bring you exclusive interviews, to bring you video of me and Dave standing somewhere sweating at higher ground, talking about what we saw over the past couple days, recapping things. Right. We'll be at scrimmages. We'll be everywhere. So if you're looking for Bearcat coverage, if you're looking 
for camp to be covered the way the other football team's camp in town is covered. The only place you can have that is BearcatJournal.com. So thanks to all our members. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Hopefully that gives you a good base of information, uh, a good starting point. Uh, look for either Monday night, Tuesday morning. I will have my first camp article up, and that will be what five guys I think are going to make a name for themselves out of the uh, the younger group of players, freshmen, redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomores, uh, guys that haven't seen the true sophomores, guys that haven't seen the field a whole lot yet, but you're going to be uh, very familiar with their names as we go through 2018. That'll be the first installment. <clears throat> then we'll look at the offense. We'll look at the defense. We'll have some uh, questions, uh, some of the biggest questions we think from camp, although we did touch quite a bit on that today. Um, I'll, I'll get that in a uh, print form at some point in time, Thursday or Friday. So that's going to wrap it up. Dave, you got anything to, uh, to add before we get out of here? I don't, you don't. All right. We'll go back. Are you watching golf? Are you watching golf? Uh, it's in a weather delay. It should start again here at five fifteen. Where Where is the golf at today? Uh, Toronto, the uh, Canadian open. Lovely city, Toronto. Yes, Dustin Johnson is your current leader. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Stay tuned. We'll have, like I said, all the camp coverage, plus uh, hopefully the resurface of Justin Berg, as well as uh, as much info as we can get on the team's trip to Canada uh, coming up next weekend. So that's it for now. We'll see you soon. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.